be honest, right? Tell people where you are on that journey. So you really got to understand what the diversity is, right? And how are you creating equitable policies that will increase the diversity? And then you also have to make sure that you're looking at that inclusion and that belonging data that you're going to get from employees on the surveys and making sure that those policies that you're creating are doing it in an equitable way so people not just feel but know they belong in the organization. Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Christopher Bylon Van Sandrick, global DEI leader and named in 2022's top 15 champions of diversity. During the episode, we explore the common mistakes that organizations make in the DEI space, and Chris offers advice to leaders struggling to keep up. Plus, find out the one thing that DEI leaders often overlook, but is crucial for success. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Welcome, Christopher. Natasha, thank you so much for having me. Really great to be able to talk with you. Yes, same here. I can't wait for our conversation today. So I think the best thing to do is why not uh, let's kick things off and explain to our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your journey to where you are today. Beautiful. So um, as you can see by the title on the podcast, my name is Christopher Bylone Van Sandvik. Um, I live in Connecticut in the United States. That's where I'm calling in from. Uh, I have spent a good majority of my career doing social justice work. And for the past seven or so years, I've been doing it on a global scale. Um, and so that's probably why you and I are talking today is really getting into the nitty gritty of DE&I globally and how we create programs that have global consistency, but local relevance. Yeah, definitely. And so on that topic, actually, how, how do we create these programs? <laughs> Um, step by step, right? You know, I think there has to be a commitment across the entire organization. There, there needs to be a top-down and a bottom-up approach, right? You have to have the senior leaders of your organization committed to doing this work and getting the work right, funding it appropriately, making sure that the staff that are leading the DEI uh, have we have enough staffing but also we're hiring the right individuals into those roles. But then we also need every individual contributor in the organization wanting to be on this journey with us, right? Because we could have the best policies and practices in the world, but if our employees are not committed to creating a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization, it's not going to work, right? So it's about setting the expectations of, what it means to be an employee of a particular organization and allowing those employees to somewhat self-select on whether or not this is the organization for them. Hopefully they are, right? Because we really want really talented people to be on this journey with us. But if they're not willing to do that, then, you know, there's probably other organizations that they could join. Mm. And so what do you, what do you think organizations, where do you think they're going wrong? What's one of the key things that you think they're just not getting right? Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think it's about that they're tokenizing the DEI program, right? It's about you know they they hire a person. It's a one person operation. They're not putting funding behind it. They're not putting the resources that needs to be. Every time they have an issue that's related to DEI, that something went wrong, they put the DEI person out in front and want them to be the spokesperson and be like, "Everything's cool. I'm here. Uh, you know, I got it under control." Um, I also think you know organizations need to be focusing on data. Right? They yes we need to have um you know your international women's day and your block history month and pride and disability awareness day etc um and we need to have trainings right we need to make sure that we're educating our staff on how to be more inclusive however if organizations are not actually measuring the diversity of their organization and putting policies and practices in place to change the direction of what the data, the trends have been, then we're just doing the surface level work. Right? You're not getting to the foundation of what DEI programs need to be. You're really putting up a facade, hmm. right? It's like a movie studio, right? That you know that you you pass by a facade of a movie studio and it looks really pretty but then when you go behind the scenes it doesn't look all that great yeah or you know when you turn the lights on <laughs> right 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 um and so organizations really need to focus on the foundation right is the house on structurally sound that you're building on and if it isn't spend time there how do you identify what tools do you use to to try and help you get those numbers and find out what does my house look like right now yeah so i think there's a couple things one is you need to have a good self-identification program in your organization you need to give employees the ability to go into a confidential non-anonymous confidential self-identification portal to identify who they are but with that you need to earn their trust to be able to get them to give you that data, right? You are asking people to check a box and put down some really personal information that they need to know that you're gonna use this for good. You need to make sure that you're having good employee engagement surveys and inclusion surveys so that you can start getting an understanding about what your employees are saying, what your leaders are saying, and be able to tie that back to location data so that you can understand where you have particular hotspots, you know, areas where that's not going well. But also you wanna know where things are going well so that you could go in and investigate and say, oh, guess what? This location is doing a really good job here. Let's replicate what they're doing across your organization, right? It's not always just about finding out the bad, mm. right? You wanna find out the good too. And you also want to be able to use this data, especially when it's good data, to share it with the world, right? If, if you're doing a really good job or if you're doing an okay job and you have gaps, be honest, right? Tell people where you are on that journey. So you really got to understand what the diversity is, right? And how are you creating equitable policies that will increase the diversity, 
And then you also have to make sure that you're looking at that inclusion and that belonging data that you're going to get from employees on the surveys and making sure that those policies that you're creating are doing it in an equitable way so people not just feel but know they belong in the organization. Mm, totally. I love that. And just when you kind of first spoke, you made the the very distinction to kind of say or like um to say confidential and not anonymous. Um is there can you elaborate the reason why you've specified that it should be confidential and not anonymous? Right. So so I think there there's value when an organization is starting out on their self-identification journey to do anonymous self-identification through employee surveys to start getting an idea of where your populations sit. But the reason why I say confidential is that we want to be able to track how these employees are moving through the organization. I want to be able, as the DEI person who is auditing the organization, I want to look at pay data. I want to make sure that we're having pay equity, not just across the gender spectrum, but race and ethnicity and disability and LGBTQ and veteran status and name it, right? Mm. I also want to be able to track the progression of people, right? So if we're having employees who are heavily involved in employee resource group programs or in other leadership development programs, one, I want to make sure that those leadership development programs are diverse, right? That it's not going after one segment of the population. But I also want to make sure that when we're doing these specific interventions, that they're paying off, right? So I want to be able to track the employee through their employee life cycle to understand how we are or are not creating an organization where they can thrive and excel. Mm. Okay, that makes total sense. I completely understand um, how that's going to be beneficial. To, so you can actually see like what is actually happening. What is this individual experiencing? Where is the gaps? Where can we do better? Where are we where already are doing better? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. So, what's one thing that you feel that DI leaders aren't talking enough about? lot um i so i think we we have to get beyond what i call this kumbaya right where we yes we need everybody to feel comfortable and you know make sure they're having psychological safety and that that's very important however we need to start having honest real conversations with our leaders so that they understand their role in creating a more diverse and equitable inclusive workforce what I mean by that is that, and this is tied back to data, right? Um, we need to stop having the I'm sorry conversations, especially to people who look like me. So those who are not uh, watching the video and only hearing this on the podcast, I am a white male. One, I know I bring a lot of privilege to this space. Right? Um, let me tell you, folks, I am in this within this fight with you all the way and the reason why i bring that up is because i want to have a i need to be able to talk to the folks this gender white male folks and push back on the notion that we are hiring just for the sake of hiring diverse candidates right we have been hiring B-level and C-level 
white male candidates over A-level women and people of color forever. And we need to have the conversation to say, that's no longer going to take place. Take the Fortune 500, for example. Hmm. There are currently six black CEOs in the Fortune 500. There are not going to be more than 500 companies in the Fortune 500. So the pie is not going to expand, right? And we're not saying to white men, you're going to have less opportunity in the workplace. What we're saying is that candidates who are B-level and C-level candidates are going to have less opportunity in the workplace. We're only going to hire A-level candidates. If it's a white guy, great. If it's a person of color or a woman or a person with a disability or a member of the LGBT community, even better. Right? Um, the other thing that we need to be able to say is that we know that historically the, um, the B-level and C-level white male candidates, more often than not, when they started to fail, they were getting the resources that they needed to succeed. But what we saw when women or people of color were starting to fail, they started to blame it on their gender or their race. we got to break that script, right? So we need to make sure that we're setting up processes and practices that even if our A-level woman of color person candidate is starting to, to flounder, that we have a system in place pick her up and to make her successful. That's not an easy conversation to have, right? And that's the, but that's the conversation we need to have. And that's the action that we need to take. Right. Um, what would you say is a way to have those difficult conversations or that that conversation is necessary, but how, how best to approach it when it's going to be a tough one? How do you kind of, how do you do that? <laughs> very tactfully yeah. um no I, I it's about being honest right it's about being honest where people are um and the first couple times it's going to be hard because you're going to have people who are pushing back you're probably going to have a good number excuse me of b-level men who have been like well i'm an a-level candidate um and you need to be able to say well no you're actually not right and here's the evidence that we have again going back to data looking at poor performance reviews you know looking at you know if they're a salesperson how are they doing from a salesperson sales perspective you know so making sure that you're grounding your decisions in um in objective data right trying to take the subjective out of it as much as possible so that you can, you know, back up your argument with, with solid facts. Um, but it's also about setting the culture, right? It's about making sure that people know, right? You don't want somebody to be surprised that this is going to be the result. So it's about having proper communication channels. It's about making sure your senior leaders are communicating out to the organization what you're trying to do. You know, if, if, if you're lacking in uh, people of color, and that's a uh, an initiative that you're trying to do, well, then guess what? Your CEO better be there out in front and saying, I'm committed to this. This is the decision that we've made as an organization. 
And here are the resources that we're putting forward to be able to do it, right? We're going to be, we're not going to go back to the same pools of talent that we have again and again and again that aren't diverse, right? We have to go after different pools of talent. What universities are we looking at? What uh, geographical locations are we attracting our talent from? And if that means we have to put some resources in place to be able to go and, and get ourselves in front of a different pool of candidates, that are just as qualified as the pool of candidates that has always been over here, then that's what we're going to do. And you need to have that. That's why I said it's the commitment from the top and it's the bottom up. It's that CEO commitment saying that this is where the organization is going and that they're putting their personal, you know, everything they got behind it. Yeah, no, definitely that. And that totally makes sense because you want to make sure that everybody's on board and if it's it's got to be from the top down um for it to to really work and and for it to be sustainable as well um so for you how do you how do you manage it or how do you know what to prioritize and where to put what to do first because i know you've you've spoken about you want to kind of make sure that your house is on or find out where the gaps are find out kind of the bottlenecks and things like that so we've got that info we're ready to go but I'm looking around and my team is a team of one <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yes. there's about 20 things on the to-do list. How do you prioritize? So I think it's about, you know, it's one being honest with yourself. How much work can you take on? Right? So don't, don't try to boil the ocean, <laughs> nor do we want to ever boil the ocean. We need our, we need our oceans to stay at the temperature. <laughs> yes. Not, definitely know, right? we got global right we <laughs> don't want to boil the ocean but i'm using that as an expression i digress um also align yourselves with good experts in the field you don't have to be a know-it-all i definitely am not i know that there's areas where i'm not the best educated on and i need to phone a friend there are external organizations out there that are more than happy to help you prioritize, um, depending on where you are in the world. Um, you know, there's different organizations that look at gender equality or disability inclusion or LGBT. They have benchmarks that are, they look at what is considered to be best practice and you can go take, you can participate in those indexes and benchmarks to evaluate where you are in the process. And then those organizations are gonna help you create a roadmap to say, okay, what should you do first, right? Of all the things we need to do, okay, what's that low hanging fruit? What are some of those quick wins you can get, right? And then what are the things that you're gonna to have to start doing that's probably gonna take you three, four or five years to implement, right? But if you don't start now, Right, they, then you're never going to catch up. So you really have to make sure that you have good project management skills. Right, um, you're not promising the world. Right? Don't don't over promise and under deliver. Go the opposite direction. Under promise and over deliver. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 truly be honest in all where the organization is. Right, you have to understand your organization on how much change can they actually. Right? Because if you try to push the organization too hard, too fast, it's going to break. And then it's not going to be sustainable. You also want to make sure that you're setting up your leaders for success, right? So if you say, okay, right now we have 25% women in senior levels and we want to get to 50%, right? 
don't say we're going to get to 50% next year because that's unrealistic. Right. right. You're setting yourself up for failure. Look again, going back to data, looking at what has your been your organic historical rate of growth of women leaders, for example, and then say, okay, what can, how can we move the needle to be able to push us to know what, what what's the breaking point, right? What's going to push the organization too hard, too fast? Um, and then, you know, kind of dial it back just a little bit, right? You want to be right on that edge, right? You want to be pushing the organization as much as you can without breaking them because leaders want to be successful. They don't want to fail, right? So set your organization up for success. If it's going to take you a little bit longer to reach that summit, be honest, yeah. right? You know, there's a ton of organizations right now that are putting out these 2030 goals, right? Okay, we're in 2023. We've got seven years to get there. If you can't take 50% women, you know, in senior levels, if you can't get there by 2030, that's okay. Be honest, right? Show that you're working towards it. Put a goal. Maybe it has to be 2032 or 2035 that you're going to get. But say, this is our journey, and this is where we're hoping to get there. And then if you start to have more success, then go back and reevaluate and say, oh, we're actually meeting our target way ahead of schedule. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I love that. And I think that some people, and I like that you kind of explain that there are going to be some things that you can do and get quick wins. And there are some parts of this work that is not going to be a quick win. And I think some leaders in the space may well, or some people that are kind of working in, in the DNI space, forget that element I find um is that it's not a sprint it's it's a it's a marathon it's a marathon yeah and so there are as long as you're in moving in the right direction i think that's the key and um, getting the the outcomes um is is if as long as you're moving the needle it's it's moving somewhere and it's going in the right direction then then you're you're on your way um i totally agree with with kind of really setting yourself and being transparent as to whether you're actually going to achieve it in the time frame that you've set um and using data to help you do that 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 that's obviously going to work wonders um one of my other things that I wanted to find out from you Christopher is how do you kind of manage your work life balance um it's a blend right I don't know that it's a balance it's a blend um I think it's also about knowing how much I'm able to give uh, and be honest with the team. Uh, it's about, I think this work is is personal, right? It's draining. So I'm lucky that I have a really supportive family. Um, you know, my husband's a saint. <laughs> um, I could not do this work without his love and support. You know, my kids, you know, um, sometimes they don't know exactly the work that I do. You know, they, they they're not there to comprehend it, but they they get it. Um, they know that uh, oh, dad's in a lot of meetings, right? <laughs> or you know, um, dad's really stressed over something, so maybe this isn't the time to go ask for more money to go to a school function or something like that, right? So, <laughs> yeah. You know, it it um, but also making sure that you have a solid network, right? Um, 
know who you can call, right? Um, I find that, you know, I have this motto. If you work for your network, your network will work for you. Right. I like that. And so I'm constantly thinking about and taking action on on how I'm working for my network so that when I have to pick up the phone or send somebody a note to be like, I need help, right? They can help. Again, that work-life blend, you know, and just when do you know that you don't know what you're doing? Mm. And being honest, right, about I don't have the answer, but I know somebody who does. And having that relationship so when you're picking up the phone and saying, Natasha, I need help, right? I need your expertise here. That's not the first time we actually talked, right? So that you'd have been like, oh, Christopher, guess what? I know I'm super busy right now. I got I'm I'm with you, right? That's how you make the work easier. And then also return the favor, right? Because I would want you to be like, okay, where is Christopher's area of expertise? And, you know, um, let me pick up the phone and call him and get him here because you know what? I may know what to do, but he's going to know how to do it better. Mm. And so, it, you know, it's finding that who can help you get the job done better than what you would do it. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And it's any sort of relationship. It's a two-way street, isn't it? So you would, I mean, me personally, I would never want to, if I've got relationship I have with, fr- with friends, family, co-workers, I always want to feel that I'm adding value to, to, to the relationship that we have. Yes. Um, and, and in turn, I would want them to try to help and support me at the same time. But because, yeah, it, it's kind of like a intertwined sort of relationship, I think, will it can only be successful in that way because you never want it to be one-sided. You never be one, no. you don't want to be the person that's always asking questions of someone and always asking them for info. And alternatively, you don't want to be the person that's always giving the info. He's giving it. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And so that's where you find that, that work, that balance, right, that blend um, yeah. on, on how you continue to move forward. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, Christopher, I've so much enjoyed our conversation. It's been really, really insightful. I think I love all the tips that you've given our listeners. Um, before you leave us, though, could you give just one piece of advice for the DEI leaders of tomorrow? Oh, um, be comfortable knowing your limits. Be get really comfortable with data. If you do not know how to use Excel, go take a class. Seriously. Um, and, you know, know that the sea is really rough at the moment. It is time for us to tie our ships together. Because the rising tide does not rise all ships anymore. The sea is really rough. There are people out there who have bigger boats and some people who have smaller boats. We need to tie them together so that when we get through this storm, we're all here to put everything back together. Again, we don't want to get anybody lost at sea uh, while we're going through this battle. So it's it's time for us to to pull together and, and lock arms and face the storm that we have going on at the moment uh, with everything we got. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Christopher. I think that's some great advice there. 
<clears throat> as my voice voice is going <laughs> but yeah no I love that analogy with the storm and and weathering this the storm together I think it's so important that we all stick together and we all continue talking and moving that needle because it's it's gonna happen it's, it has to <laughs> it, it it will you know it, it, and it's about know when you have to pass the ball off to somebody else and allow them to advance it down the field right like um you know, we're recording this session during uh, the start of Black History Month in the United States and Canada, right? We're coming off the heels of uh, Trey Nichols being murdered on Memphis. And, you know, earlier this week, I posted on LinkedIn and said, my Black colleagues and friends, I see you, right? And I'm in this fight with you. It is okay for you to tap out and say, I need to, I, I need to deal with my own stuff will advance the ball down the court for you, right? And because I know that there's going to probably be a time when I'm going to need somebody to take the ball from me and advance it down the court. And so that's why I'm saying that we're in this together and that's the only way we're going to get through it. Yeah, no, it, it's so true. And with everything that's going on, it, it can be really difficult to stay positive. But I think the key is 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 to do that and to know that if you take a, that step back to kind of focus and self-care and, and just self-reflect for yourself, that just to know that there is others out there that will, as you said, kind of further take that ball down the field for you. Um, and that's where I think allies play such an important role um, in, in this work. Um, which is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yes, we, could whole, about. <laughs> let, let, we could have a whole nother hour conversation about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Natasha, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been great. Um, always enjoy uh, talking with you, whether it be recorded or not. Um, and uh, hopefully we do this again sometime soon. Oh, no, definitely. And I'm, I look forward to chatting with you again, Christopher. And I wish you all the best in the future until we do. Thank you so much.